I want to go with that, uh, with that theme of lifting the lid. You know that uh, we've had a word of God. There's been a word of God over this church, lifting the lid. And uh, I want to just go back to uh, Isaiah, Isaiah 54. And this is a word that, that came into this church, prophetic word, some years back. But it's come on and repeated to us because God is wanting to expand our lives as a church, as individuals, as families, as businesses, God is not content with any lid sitting on our lives. He wants to blow that lid off. So he's spoken to us as a church a number of times. And if you're wise, you'll hear the voice of the Spirit in this. In Isaiah 54, and verse 2, it says, Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. And then it goes on, it says, For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Now that is a word of God for us as a church. Now we can hold back in fear. We can hold back in our own lives through uh, just wanting to conserve what we have. And uh, in the end, in the end, if you do that, you lose if you ever try to play a game of rugby defensively, if you ever try to play a game of de- uh, rugby defensively or any other game and just go defensive, you will not win. You will lose. Guaranteed. No one goes into a game with a strategy of, we're just going uh, to make sure we give away as few points as possible. You know, how, how many have you ever heard of someone going into a game like that? Like, hello? It wouldn't happen. But so many people live their lives defensively, and we're not called to live our lives defensively. We're called to live bold, aggressive, faithful lives for Jesus Christ. Do you know what I'm saying tonight? Amen. And the hand of God is upon this church and us as a people that we would live lives that go right to the border, that we push the envelope as far as we can. And I don't know about you, but I want to live my life like that when I know that when my life is poured out, I want to know that I've given it everything that I possibly can. I don't want to live conservatively. I don't want to live a life that just seeks to hold and retain what I had. I'll give you a story that um, uh, using my own life as an example in my family's life. My, my dad was a great guy. He passed away. Um, uh, just uh, earlier this year, and uh, I love my dad a whole lot. And uh, uh, but I, I want to tell you a story about his life, and I don't want to dishonor him in any way because uh, even though he didn't know Jesus, I don't know what he happened in the last days. But uh, uh, you know, let me be careful with this because I, I do. I I want to use this as an example, um, but I don't ever want to convey dishonor in, in any way. My dad grew up in the depression. And uh, through, through the Great Depression, he was, he was over, how old was he when he died, sweetheart? 92 years old when he died this year. And uh, so he grew up through the Depression where there was a lack, okay? They had to struggle just to have enough food to eat. And they didn't ever remember having a new pair of shoes ever until he was uh, old enough to earn his own money. Okay, so he grew up getting passed down um, from uh, from. I think 11 brothers and sisters uh, uh, right down to him. And uh, what it did for him was he had an incredible fear of not having enough. His, uh, his father went bankrupt uh, through the Great Depression and, and lost everything that they had. 
And uh, so they, they really struggled. And it left my dad with a, a sense of just wanting to protect and conserve everything that he had. And uh, when he finished in the war, he went away and he fought in Italy. When he came back, uh, he uh, through some developments and so on, he earned enough money to buy his own farm in the Waikato, dairy farm in the Waikato for 14,000 pounds. Okay, 14,000 pounds. And uh, can you imagine that? Those, the farms now, uh, that piece of land that he bought is uh, recently sold for $6 million. So uh, I'll give you a bit of an idea. But he worked really hard and he got a bank loan and, uh, and, and saved up. And then when he started this farm, he worked hard day and night, day and night, day and night, to uh, seven days a week, didn't take a rest at all, just worked, didn't take any holidays until I came along quite late in his life. And um, uh, he completely paid off his loan, completely paid it off. But from the moment he paid off his loan, he went conservative. He never took another risk in his life. He paid his loan off within a couple of years. But from that time, he lived conservatively and defensively. I have three brothers and two sisters. Dad, if he was willing to stretch out and take more risks and live less conservatively, he would have had enough money to put each one of his children in their own farms. Okay? But he didn't. He just wanted to conserve everything that he had. In fact, in the end, uh, the one brother that stayed working for him, um, because my father didn't give him enough freedom to, uh, uh, to stretch out either, uh, even the home farm was sold in the end. And uh, that which he had was actually dissipated and lost because he chose to live defensively. And I kind of think, I don't blame my dad at all about that, or, but I, I kind of think, what a tragedy it was that he took a risk, but because of fear inside of him that he would, might go bankrupt or something like that, he never took any other risks in his life. And uh, in the end, uh, lost even that which he was trying to conserve and hold. He wasn't able to pass that on to another generation. And I think that's kind of sad. But God doesn't ever want us to live conservative lives. Yeah, so uh, that's a, a bit of transparency that I wasn't planning on sharing, but I wanted to give it to you anyway. So hear my heart in that. God doesn't want us to live lives that are on the defensive. You see, God's hand is on us as a church to be an apostolic church, a church that cannot be contained by four walls, a church that is anointed by the Holy Spirit, signs and wonders. Who's got their hand up for dead religion? Yeah. <laughs> That just about tricked you, eh? <laughs> I don't want dead religion. I don't want a life that speaks about a God that isn't real to me right here, right now, when I need Him. That's the sort of church that God is calling to be, a church that is acquainted, that knows the power of the living God day by day, every day. A church that dares to believe and commit to what could be. It doesn't look and contain itself with what is, but it looks beyond that to what could be and commits itself to that. That's the sort of church that, that God is wanting to build in this place. 
He's wanting us to be an apostolic church, a church that looks beyond the four walls to the world that needs to be wrenched out of the devil's grip and transformed by the life and power of the living God. Do you know what I'm talking about tonight? That's the sort of church that God's wanting to build in this place. And if he's to build that sort of church, we need to be the sort of people who can embrace that. We're the people who do it. God is wanting us to be an apostolic people, people who take territory for Jesus Christ, not just believers, but disciples. Not just believers, but disciples. Do you know, if we're to be an apostolic people, we need to take the lid off our believing. We need to take the lid off our faith. How many of you know that the devil is a believer? Yeah, you see, the devil is a believer. You say, Pastor, what are you saying? Okay, what are you talking about? And don't dig your hole too deep, eh? <laughs> James 2, James chapter 2 and verse 19. It says, you say that you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. You see, let me tell you that the devil is a better believer than some who go to church and call themselves Christians. Because at least he trembles. <laughs> and see, some people play with sin like it's a toy, and they don't even tremble about it. At least the devil's got the wisdom to tremble. If we're to live as apostolic people, we need to take our level of faith above that of the devils. Yeah? You see, if you're caught in sin, now let me say, okay, if you're caught in some kind of sin, and you're saying, Pastor, you know what? You're preaching is really hard. And, uh, I, I, <laughs> you know, if you're caught in some sort of sin, then put your hand up and ask for help. Because there's not some sin, there's not one sin that Jesus Christ isn't powerful enough to break off your life if you're willing to open up your heart and let him in and to repent and turn away from all the stuff that's got a hold of your life. There's not one thing, not one thing, except excuses. You see, excuses will keep you bound up in that thing. Don't let that happen to you. If you're really caught up in some kind of sin, then ask for a leader who can, uh, who can help you. But don't ever make peace with sin and call it grace. Don't ever do that because that's not the truth. Yeah? So we need to take our level of faith above that of the devils. Do you know what I'm saying tonight? Come on, say amen. amen. All right. So an apostolic people have their eyes fixed on Christ and say, there is nothing, there is nothing this world can offer me. Nothing this world can offer me. Doesn't matter how much it's sugar-coated with anything. It hasn't got anything for me. That's what apostolic people say. Apostolic people welcome God into every part of their lives. Apostolic people will not settle for just enough. That's survival. God never called us to survive. He called us to conquer, to overcome. That's what God called us to do. See, apostolic people will not settle for mere success. Success is good. But God wants to call you on to significance. Success is great. God wants you to succeed. But more than that, He wants you to live a life that is significant. That means that when you depart from this life, you can leave it saying, I left the world a better place than when I arrived. That's significance. Apostolic people know that they're forgiven, that they're loved, that they're accepted by God Himself. 
apostolic people know that the Spirit of God is in them. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in them. Do you know that tonight? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. Now that is, I tell you, if that doesn't switch on your channels and and get you going, I don't know what it will. Because the Spirit of God is in you. Get a grip on that. Apostolic people that know that no weapon that's aimed against them will succeed. No weapon. That goes on uh, from that uh, uh, passage in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 54, right at the end of that chapter where God says, Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be uh, stretched out. He says in verse 17, No weapon that's fashioned against you will succeed, and you will condemn or silence every tongue that rises up against you in judgment. Apostolic people know that because they know that the hand of God is upon their lives to bless them and to give them success. Apostolic people know that sin doesn't rule over them. There's no sin that by leaning on God's grace, you can't overcome. Apostolic people know that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ. And he said, go, go and make disciples of all the nations. Cast out demons and heal the sick while you're at it. That's what Jesus said. And they know that if Jesus said all authority belongs to me and he gives it to us, What does that mean? We're going in His authority, His power, in His name. Wherever that might be, God is calling us to be an apostolic people, kingdom expanders and takers of territory for Christ. And you say, Pastor, are you just talking about those of you are like, uh, are you telling us that we've got to be preachers or something like that? Well, maybe. Maybe that's in your heart and maybe that's what God's calling you to be. But let me tell you, apostolic people, you'll find them. Yes, you'll find them in the church. But you'll find them also in the schools, as students. Our our schools here need apostolic people, apostolic teens, young ones who are not afraid to witness for Jesus Christ, not afraid to take a stand for Jesus. Our Our schools need teachers, teachers who are apostolic people, who have the kingdom of God within them. You'll find apostolic people in businesses who are not content for survival, but want to stretch out and grow. You'll find them in hospitals as doctors and nurses and therapists. You know, I just, uh, uh, you know, where's Bex? Bex is right here. You know, Becca inspires me because she's not content just to be a nurse. She wants to be a nurse practitioner. Okay, that's a big deal. A big deal. Not content just to... Work, a, work, a, a, uh, work out a time and do that, but wants to stretch out and grow and take on something aggressive. I tell you, our hospitals need nurse practitioners who are apostolic people. They need the people of God in there. You see, apostolic people, they're in local government, they're in national government, they're on the cutting edge of science and technology and developing areas of media and the arts. In families, mothers and fathers who are committed to raising up the next generation of warriors and conquerors. Maybe that's you. God wants us to take territory for Christ, not settle for survival. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, God wants you to take hold of that and transform it with the culture of heaven.
That's God's plan for you. Last week, I preached on four qualities of a territory taker from the life of Caleb. Tonight, I want to preach on the life of another radical territory taker who's inspired me and changed my prayer life. So I want you to turn in your Bible uh, to First Chronicles in the Old Testament, First Chronicles chapter 4. First Chronicles chapter 4. Let me know when you get there, right? Do you have your Bible with you? Got sweaty hands, I can't get the top of my uh, drink bottle. <laughs> All right. Okay, so the first uh, nine chapters of First Chronicles, that's about as interesting as reading the telephone book. Okay. <laughs> you didn't think you'd hear the pastor say that, eh? But that's the truth. The first, first nine chapters of first, uh, first Chronicles, chapter 1 through to 9, is really about as interesting as reading the telephone book, except... For one thing, and I'll get to that one thing, one thing uh, soon. But First Chronicles is uh, nine chapters of genealogy covering thousands of years and some 500 plus unpronounceable names. Now, I've never got into genealogy. So I, some people are, are right into tracing their ancestors right back to Adam, but that's, I tell you, that's never really interested me, let alone someone else's ancestry. But uh, so there's 500 plus names where it says next to nothing about these people, but one person it says a lot about. One name stood out. And First Chronicles chapter 4 and verses 9 to 10. This man's name was Jabez. How many of you have heard of Jabez before? A good few of you. His life and this simple prayer has challenged me, encouraged me so much. First Chronicles chapter 4, 9 to 10. It says, now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. Now, in nine whole chapters of First Chronicles, it doesn't say any more about anyone particularly other than their name and who they were the son of and whose children and what their, what their children's name was. But on this one person and amongst nine chapters, the Holy Spirit pauses and says, I want you guys to see this person's life. I want you to get a good look at this. Because there is something different about this guy. Jabez was a territory taker. He was an apostolic leader before his time. And we can learn some things about him. What was it? What was it about Jabez's life that stood out? You see, he was more than a survivor. He was a territory taker. The first thing I want you to see about Jabez was that he was a man of honor. A man of honor. Honor means to have a good name, to have integrity, to have honesty, courage, moral strength. And even in the world, even in the world, people recognize honor. How many of you would like to be known as a man or woman of honor? Yeah, most of us should. I suppose if we, if we thought about it long enough, you'd say, yeah, absolutely, I get that. I want to be a man or a woman of honor. 
there's a uh, movie that came out a couple of years back called Men of Honor. Have you, any of you seen that? Yeah? It's a great story. It was released a few years back on the life of uh, Carl Brashear. He was the first African-American and then the first amputee to become a U.S. Navy diver. So this was a story that was, uh, was released uh, uh, back in the early 2000s. And um, a great story of how a young man just overcome incredible, incredible odds. And uh, it's a story of how he overcame racism and bigotry, abuse and mistreatment. This guy had set his heart, Carl Brashear, had set his heart on becoming a Navy diver. And up to that point, no black guys had ever been admitted to that academy. None of them had been admitted. He managed to get through. And then he was under the leadership of a, of a guy who just made his life living hell, resisted him and tormented him all the way. But this guy succeeded against all the odds. At one stage, he was down in freezing cold water from, from daylight to well after dark. They thought they were going to take him up dead because this guy who was over him, his captain, had said, uh, no, you're going to go down there and you stay. And if you, if you come up before you finish this task, you're out of the academy. And there's no way he was going to give up. He just would not give up. Great story. But one part in, in the story, Carl Brashear stands before a captain. And the captain's saying, what, what, do you, what do you want of this? Why do you want so desperately to become a, a Navy diver in this business? And he calls the Navy a business. And Carl Brashear stops him and he says, forgive me, sir. But to me, the Navy isn't a business. It's an organization of people who represent the finest aspects of our nation. We have many traditions in my career. I've encountered most of them. This is a quote from him. He says, some are good, some not so good. I would, however, not be here today were it not for the greatest tradition of all. And the captain says, and what would that be, Chief Brashear? And Carl Brashear says, honor, sir. Carl Brashear lived as a core value core value of his was honor. And he wasn't prepared to let that go for any reason. He overcame incredible adversity. He, at one stage, he lost his, lost his leg and he was kicked out of the, of the Navy diving program. But he reapplied for it and managed to get back in just because his sheer courage, strength and integrity and, and uh, all those qualities about him. So I myself, I would want to be a man of honor. And if you want to be an apostolic person, a person who takes territory for Jesus Christ, one who lives above the devil's level of faith, one who lives above survival, one who lives above success, you need to make sure that honor is an integral part of your life. And to be a person of honor in God's eyes is far more than to be a good person. You see, in the Bible, honor is closely related to glory. It's closely related to the character and nature of God himself. To truly be a man or woman of honor is to carry the weight of the glory of God, his character, his nature, his being, his love. If you want to be a person of honor, you need to spend time with God. There's no shortcuts for that. 
No shortcuts for spending time with God, loving Him, worshipping Him, allowing Him to change you and mold you and shape you. There's no exchange from that. God wants us to be people of honor, to live in a way that is honorable. You see, we are honorable because of who lives inside of us. Jesus lives inside of us, and He's worthy of honor. But we choose how we express and live out the honor that is within us, God. You see, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and 12, it says, uh, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So it's saying, live in a way that's honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. How incredible is that? To live in a way that brings honor among the unbelievers, so that even when they say that you're no good or, or uh, just like them, they won't be able to discount the good things that you do and the way that you live. That's a testimony. I wonder what people would say about you in your school. I wonder what people would say about you in your workplace. Would they say, oh, he's just like us, or she's just like us, or, you know, they are worse than us. <laughs> Some Christians give the devil a bad name, you know, <laughs> let alone God. We've got to give God a good name. He has a good name. He lives in us. Let our conduct be with honor. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 17, going on from that verse a little bit further, it says, and this is an, an amazing one, honor all people. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Be a person of honor. Now you see, that's upside down from the way the world sees honor. The world sees honor as I will give honor to people who are worthy of honor. And if they are dishonorable, then I will disrespect them and give them a hard time and not listen to them. But God says, honor all people, whether you think they're worthy of honor or not. That means, how about this for a life-changing thought? Honor your husband or your wife. Wow. What would change for you? If you honored your husband or your wife, what could happen in your marriage? Of course, we know, honor your father or mother. But sometimes even with that, we say, how can I honor my mom or my dad when they live like unbelievers? They live like devils. They give me such a hard time. And God says, honor all people. Honor your teachers. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say it again. Honor your teachers for Wendy's sake. Come on, give Wendy a clap. Any other teacher in here? Jamie? <laughs> honor the teachers. Honor your teachers. Whether you think they're worthy of honor or not. Here's another life-changing thought. Honor your brothers and sisters. But pastor, you have no idea what a pain my brother is. You have no idea what a nuisance my sister is. God says, honor them. Honor them anyway. Honor your boss. 
It doesn't matter whether he's a heathen, unbelieving scoundrel. Honor him. Honor him and see what would change. See what would change if you express honor. Here's another thought. Honor your children. If you have to honor all people, that means you get to honor your children. Wow, I had thought of that. That means your children should have honor expressed to them as people, little people, who are made in the image of God. You can't treat your children with disrespect and dishonor and think that you have been a godly parent. No way. That doesn't happen like that. God says, honor all people. So that was a quality of Jabez. He was an honorable man. So turn to the person next to you and say, choose honor. The second quality of Jabez. There's a second quality that made Jabez stand out. He did not allow his past to dominate his future. You see, Jabez was called Jabez because his mother said, I bore him in pain. His mother named him Jabez, which means literally pain or painful. Now, I can't imagine what it would be like to receive a name like that from your mother, that every time as you're growing up, right from the time you're a little one and can start to understand that your name means pain. And everyone, someone calls your name, pain is being said. So that as you're growing up, you associate pain with yourself as a person who causes pain. I can't imagine what it would be like to grow up with the taunts of people around him, of the kids around him, calling him pain or painful or whatever. I can't imagine what that was like. And sometimes it's easy for us to read things like that and just go blah, 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 and head, oh, that's interesting. Well, actually, for Jabez, I imagine that there was an enormous amount of hurt and rejection that went along with that. You see, how many here have perfect parents? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Some of you, your mum and dad must be sitting alongside you, I think. <laughs> you see, none of us have perfect parents. None of us have perfect parents. Unfortunately, some of us have had bad parents, neglectful parents, or flat-out evil parents. You see, I can't imagine what it would be like for, for, uh, for Jabez to come, be brought up like that in New Zealand. We actually have laws against people calling their children uh, offensive names and, uh, and harmful names. But in that culture, no, they didn't. But actually, the Hebrews would name their children out of a sense of their prophetic destiny. So not only was it an offensive, hurtful, rejecting name, but it was a curse as well because what his mother was saying as she named him Jabez was that his prophetic destiny was to cause pain. Now, some people, some people have heard some incredible evil things from your own parents. You've been called useless. You've been called good for nothing. You've been called failures or you've been called a whole lot worse. Don't allow that to rob you of your future. Get ministry. Receive healing, put it behind you, and reach out to God. 
See, we don't ever want to minimize or, or deny abuse. It's real and it's painful and it's destructive. But I want to encourage you, if that's you here today, if that's been going on in your life or that you've been a, a victim to that in your life, I want to tell you that there's people in this house who have overcome incredible abuses and are living lives of faith, dynamic lives of faith. They have not let their past dominate them. You can let your past dominate you if you let it. It's not that hard. But you can be set free from it and live far above it. Jabez lived far above the pain of his past. Far above. And if Jabez can, under the old covenant, how much more can you and I, with the life of Jesus Christ in us, that breaks every curse. If Jabez was able to overcome that that his mother inflicted upon him, you and I can overcome every difficulty or default of the past through the grace of God. It's within us. See, Philippians 3, uh, chapter 3 and verse 13, 14, it says that I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the, uh, to, uh, uh, to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. See, the apostle Paul looked back on his success and his failures and said, I'm not looking at that at all. I'm focused on one thing. I'm focused on what God's called me. And you here tonight, whatever has gone in your past, whatever failures you've experienced, whatever abuses you've experienced in the past, whatever rejections you've had, you're able to overcome them, to put them behind you and not let them dominate your future. Jabez was a person like that. He was a territory taker. And if you want to take territory for God, you've got to let go of the past and not let it dominate your future. Can I have uh, the keyboarders, please? Thanks, Bruce. Tell the person next to you, don't allow your past to dominate your future. <laughs> You're all very quiet. <laughs> Okay, I want to, I want to uh, just want to lift the level again. I know that was a touchy area, but I want to push back onto lifting the lid because God wants to lift the lid on our lives. The third quality that made the life of Jabez stand out from everyone else was that Jabez prayed a big, aggressive prayer. A big, aggressive prayer. He said, God, that you would bless me indeed, that you would enlarge my territory, that you would prosper me, that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil that I might not cause pain. And God honored that request, that big aggressive prayer, that big aggressive prayer that Jabez prayed, God honored and said, out of all the people in those nine chapters who did incredible things, I want the spotlight to come on this man for his big, aggressive prayer of faith. You see, if we want to be territory takers for God, we've got to stop praying little prayers, little weenie prayers of God, help me to survive this day. 
God, help me not to have any accidents today. God, help me to find a car park at the supermarket. God wants to take the lid off your prayer life that you would ask Him for big things, big things. I remember reading a, a business book some time back, a great book by a guy called Jim Collins. And he analyzed companies that did well over generations. They were multi-generational companies, companies that had succeeded wildly against everything else that was even remotely like them. And one of their qualities was they set what Collins called big, hairy, audacious goals. Big, hairy, audacious goals. God wants us to pray big, hairy, audacious prayers. God wants us to pray big prayers that say, God, that you would bless me a whole lot. You see, some people accuse churches of our, like ours. They accuse us, accuse us of being bless me clubs. Let me tell you, if everyone here was blessed, I'd be so happy. I'd be so happy. Because they mean it to be an insult and a slight against us that we would dare to believe that our people would live blessed lives. They, they would cause that to be an insult to us. But actually, I'd be so happy if our people would be blessed, every one of us, and God would be too. Because God looked at a prayer like that. He didn't stand up there and say, you selfish little person. You selfish little person. What do you think I'm doing operating a bless me club? God didn't say that at all. It says that God granted him what he said. When was the last time you prayed a big, hairy, audacious prayer for Jesus Christ? When was it that you said, God, give me something big. Give me something big. Bless me in my schoolwork, God, that I would be the top of the class, not that I would just pass. God, bless me in my business, that I would outperform everyone else in my marketplace. God bless me in whatever I do. You see, that's a prayer that gets God's attention. He prayed that God would make him wealthy and influential. Can you pray prayers like that? This man was in the Old Testament before the covenant of grace. And he prayed that God would make him wealthy and influential. Is it all right for you to pray that? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. He prayed that God's presence and power would be with him. He prayed that he would be an instrument of blessing. An instrument of blessing. I tell you, when I read that prayer, it changed my prayer life because it rattles some religious bones, some religious bats. And I know for some of you, even talking like that, it rattles some religious bats in your cage. Well, I tell you, time to let those things out. Get rid of every religious bat out of your body <laughs> because we serve a living God, a real God who dares who blesses those who dare to pray big prayers. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 11, 
Jesus says, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opens. Or what man is there among you if a son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? So I'm a dad. Three daughters that I, I love so much. And they'll tell you that I'm not a perfect dad. They know that. Uh, I make a whole lot of mistakes. But I love my kids. I'd give them anything that I could. Absolutely anything. Anything to be a blessing to them. Anything that they needed. They just needed to ask. And if it was within my capacity to do that, I would give it. I would move whatever I could move to do that for them. And I'm a human father full of my own weaknesses and struggles. And some of us don't think that God is even that good. We kind of think, well, if I ask God, how, would, he, would He really answer me? Jesus says, yes, yes. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would I? Jesus says, ask that you would receive and that your joy would be full. The key to joy in your life is having your prayers answered by God. But some of us don't dare to ask because we're scared. Do not let that be changed for you. If we want to be territory takers for God, we need to take the lid off our lives. Get rid of every silly religious idea and embrace the truth of what he's saying. Stretch out, expand, become a person of honor. Become a person of honor. Don't allow your past to dominate your future. And dare to pray a big prayer. Dare to believe God for something big. Do you know what I've been saying tonight? Has anyone been ministered to? Yeah, anyone been encouraged tonight? All right, I want you to close your eyes. We're going to pray.